Everybody doing okay? Good? <laughs> Everyone made it safe. That's good. Kind of for real note, you guys need to be careful on your way home. I, I'm one of those people like, uh, I'm kind of cocky when it comes to my driving skills and whenever it snows and stuff, I'm always like, Psh. And uh, I was passing the Starbucks on Memorial. Um, Coming, there's a light right there. And I went to go turn right and I just kept going straight. And I was like, all right, it's maybe a little bit icier than what I, I thought. So I'm gonna respect that on my way home. Um, so a couple of things. One's important and one's um, really dumb, but we're going to say it anyway. So the first one is um, our worship night is this Friday at 7 o'clock. It is not in person. So it's the first time we've ever had to do that. A uh, couple of things. One, and obviously, is COVID. Two, this room is not big enough to hold our worship nights anymore. The, the ones that we do in the summer and in the fall, we do outside so we can have seven, 8,000 people and it's not a problem. You can't fit that many people in here, or you can't fit people in here that, you know, I don't know, you'd have to, we'd have to like stack each other or something. It wouldn't be very comfortable. So it's online um, on YouTube, Facebook Live, our website, seven o'clock. And if you, if you get online, if you watch that, which we hope you do, please consider giving to EEM, Eastern European Mission. They give out a million plus Bibles a year in areas like Russia, the Ukraine, Czechoslovakia, places like that. Fantastic organization. So that's the, the important part. The second one is, if you've been coming to this church for any length of time, um, and if you're new, you might be really disappointed in this. Uh, I'm a big Tom Brady fan, and it was the first time that I didn't get to pray for Tom Brady with our church. I say with, I'm the only one that prays for him. Uh, and in fact, I get a lot of like boos and jeers when I pray for him, which I think is a little sacrilegious. But anyway, so I always would, would kind of half-heartedly pray for him at the end of my prayer before I started teaching, um, whenever he would get to the Super Bowl, which was a lot. And anyways, so I was upset that last week I was in Shelbyville and, and I didn't get the chance to, to do that with you guys. Fun story. I remember the year, <laughs> the year when they were playing the Falcons. Uh, it was extra fun because Brooker, who's our pastor out in Woodbury, is a huge Falcons fan. And so the whole first half of that game, he was sending me all these very unchristian texts and um, whole time. And I remember the second half of that game, I returned the favor and sent him many uh, not very friendly text, but I remember I, I, I remember praying for Tom Brady that year, and on ESPN, they said it was a miraculous comeback. Now, I don't want to take all the credit for Tom Brady's career, but you know, if I ever meet him, I'm going to say, dude, you owe me for the, the year when you beat the Falcons. So, okay, so we are in the book of Philippians. We're actually wrapping it up today. If you haven't been here, this is a very, very short book in the New Testament. It was actually a letter. So it's not very lengthy. It's only four chapters. It was a letter written by Paul, who wrote the majority of the, of the New Testament, to a church in northern Greece in an area called Philippi, named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip. Okay, Very, very short book of the Bible, but very, very important, very, very impactful. In fact, the word joy is used more in this short book of the Bible than any other book in the entire Bible. Okay, Very, very important. If you weren't here last week, Isaac did chapter three, did a phenomenal job asking us if we are citizens of heaven. So this is one of the things that Paul kind of focuses on is that there is a kingdom greater than any earthly kingdom, and we can be citizens of that kingdom if we have a relationship with Jesus, be citizens of heaven. He talked about that good stuff. This week, as we wrap up chapter four, a couple of things about this, okay? Um, what we're going to be talking about is, is we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to live? What is living? 
Is living being famous? Is living being attractive? Is living getting a promotion? Is living living in a certain name? What is living, right? Is living getting high? Is living having sex? What is living? We're gonna talk about living and we're gonna kind of define that biblically, what it means to truly live. And then we're gonna ask the question, are we? <laughs> are we living, okay? So let me tell you, chapter four of Philippians is challenging. It is encouraging but it's gonna push us a little bit, and I'm just gonna kinda of let the cat out of the bag. It really starts to kinda of poke at some very sensitive spots in us. It does in me. We're gonna talk about anxiety, and talk about fear, might talk a little bit about depression, because Paul and the Bible talks about these things. And I'm gonna go out there, and we're gonna dissect it here in a second. The Bible alludes to the fact that we are not designed to live in anxiety. It's not the way we were made. God does not want us to live anxiously. And so we're going to get into that. And, and we're going to have to be vulnerable today. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out. I go to a counselor once a month, whether life is good or bad. Um, I come from struggles with depression and anxiety and all those things. Tried to commit suicide a couple of times in my life, three times actually, uh, before I knew Jesus. And so a lot of this is sensitive to me, sensitive for, for me. And so, but we have to be vulnerable. We have to go to the word of God. We have to just kind of allow the word of God to, to, to penetrate the parts of our, our heart that he needs to get to. And um, we just have to be humble and just kind, of, just kind of get into it, all right? So I'm gonna challenge you a little bit today, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching online. It's gonna push our buttons a little bit, but, but God does that because he loves us, okay? And he does that because he wants to make us better and he wants us to live an abundant life, all right? We'll talk about that a little bit today. So you should have got notes handouts when you came in. These girls are obviously happy, right? Um, you should have got notes handouts when you came. We're going to laugh today, right? I know the weather sucks out there, but you guys have to like laugh occasionally, even if it's just out of pity. Just if I say something, just chuckle a little bit, even if you don't really think it's funny. It'll humor me. Any, thank you. So anyways, um, so you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything I say is going to be in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you're watching online, the big points will be kind of in the bottom third uh, if you have a Bible, we're in the New Testament towards the back, book of Philippians, chapter 4. We'll get through it quick today and uh, see where God takes us, okay? All right, let me pray and we'll dive into this. Lord, I just want to tell you thank you. God, thank you, Lord, for everyone that came out today. I pray that you keep them safe as they go home, Lord. Thank you for everyone watching online today, God, that couldn't make it out. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in Cannon County. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in Shelbyville, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in Antioch through Crossland, and God, thank you for our church, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you don't just bless our churches, God, but bless every church in our city, in our area. Bless all the churches we work with all around the country, God, all around Africa and El Salvador and other places in the world where we get to work. Pray, God, that you keep your hand on EEM as they get Bibles out to Europe, Lord, and places where they are very post-Christian. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you just open up our minds and our hearts today, God. Make us vulnerable. Teach us something through your word. Sharpen us, challenge us, God, and encourage us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, remember this is a letter, so it reads like a letter. So I'm going to read a little bit. We'll go back and we'll break it down, and uh, we'll see where God takes us, okay? Paul writes, So then my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy, my crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Eodia and Sanctici 
to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Okay, so the language in this, if you have not been here with us during Philippians, not only was it a letter to a church from Paul, these are people that Paul loved, dearly loved, and longed to see them again. He really cared for these people. Didn't just care for them. He says, you're my joy, you're my crown. Basically saying, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you've done because they have stayed faithful to the teachings of Jesus and to Paul's instruction. So in this last chapter, and by the way, there were no chapters originally. We added that way on down the line. It's a letter. But at this last part of the letter, Paul is looking back He's encouraging them, and he's saying, stand firm. Whether hard times come, uh, uh, regardless of what happens in your personal life or in the world around you, hold on to the things I've taught you. Hold on to the things that we've learned from Jesus, okay? Stand firm. Paul also addresses a specific incident. We don't know that much about these two ladies, but obviously there were two very influential women in the church in Philippi, and they were having some kind of disagreement. So Paul writes and he says, hey, make sure that you guys kind of intervene in this, this argument that these two ladies are having because these are good women. Look what he says. They've been partners with me in the faith. They have contended in the gospel. They're mature Christians. And because of that, even if the church has to help a little bit, these two ladies should be able to come to some kind of agreement. They should be able to find some kind of civil agreement between the two of them. What we get from this is that if we are Christians, especially people who've been Christians for a while, we should be able to resolve conflicts and at least agree on the major principles of this book. We may have minor disagreements, what worship looks like or how we dress in church or minor things, but the major things we should be able to reach a resolution on. Now, we are, this gets into a bigger philosophical thing that we as Christians are to live harmoniously with people around us. That means that we are not to be known as argumentative people. You guys, you guys ever have that person in the office, like you're in a big staff meeting, you know, like it's run over a little bit, you're hungry, you wanna go get lunch, and you could have wrapped everything up, but there's that one person, right? Well, what about this, right? And they always just wanna argue, and you're like, we could be at lunch right now. Why does this person always want to debate everything? It's pretty simple. Don't be that person, right? The division, rudeness, complaining, these are things that should not mark the life of a Christian. We are to be peaceful people. Peaceful internally, which means we're at peace at who we are, and peace externally, which means we treat other people with kindness. So listen, living in harmony with the world around us doesn't mean that we condone everything around us that happens. That's not what that means. What it means, though, is as Christians, we can live even in an environment that doesn't agree with the Word of God and still show the peace and love of God to people that don't know it and who people who do not have a relationship with God. We can do that. We are to be harmonious people, all right? So Jesus even tells us how to handle conflict. In the book of Matthew, in chapter 18... If you came here in 2020, you should be a scholar in the book of Matthew. We spent all of 2020 in it. In chapter 18, Jesus gives us a four-step approach how to handle conflict. And it's actually pretty straightforward. 
What Jesus says is this. Um, if there's someone in this room that, that he and I have a conflict or she and I have a conflict, I, as a Christian, am, am supposed to go to that person one-on-one and say, hey, uh, you offended me. You, you upset me about this. I just wanted to bring that to you so we could talk about it. Now, if that person says, Corey, you can go to H-E double hockey sticks, hell, if they say that to me, well, then what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to go get another Christian, right? We approach that person together. Hey, I was offended. This person realizes I'm offended. We came to you together. If that person tells both of us to go to H-E double hockey sticks, then okay. We go back and get a third Christian. We approach them again bring up the offense, and if they say, go to H-E double hockey sticks again, then we get the church involved. Isn't it amazing? Jesus tells us to do this. Isn't it amazing how many people, when they get offended, instead of going to the source, they just write something mean on Facebook, right? Uh, they give you a one-star review. <laughs> they, they, they get a bunch of people, and they talk bad about them, and they approach you like a militia. I can't tell you how many people have come to me in this church, and they're like, so-and-so really made me mad. And I said, well, did you go to so-and-so and talk about him? Did you go talk about it? Did you bring this to him? Well, no, I came to you. And I'm like, well, you skipped one, two, and three. And you brought it right to the church. Go back and talk to them like an adult. Talk to them. And then if that doesn't work, bring someone else. If that doesn't work, bring two other people. And then send me an email or get me involved, right? How many times do we not do it the way the Lord wants us to do it? If we do it the way the Lord wants us to do it and resolve conflict, look at what it does. It eliminates gossip. It eliminates slander, that's talking bad about people, and it eliminates divisiveness in the church. These are all things that the Bible says God hates. When we gossip, slander, and divide, the Bible says God hates that. He does not like that, okay? So we need to make sure we do it the way the Lord wants us to do it. Okay, moving on. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, I'll say it again, rejoice let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer, with petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything morally excellent, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Let me preface this section. This may be one of the most important and applicable passages in the New Testament for Christians. This is extremely important. The first thing you notice is this, is Paul says, be joyful. I'm gonna say it again, be joyful. So if you have not been with me, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. So a man in prison says, be joyful. I'm gonna say it again, be joyful. Because as Christians, that should be a trademark of who we are. And one of the ways we demonstrate our joy is we show graciousness to everyone, not just people we like or people that are nice. It says to everyone. So here's what happens. If we depend on Jesus to give us joy, if we get our fulfillment, not by the house we live in or our job or anything, but if God is our source of joy, 
Because we have joy, we naturally just treat people better. I don't know how you guys are, but when I'm in a good mood, I, like I tip better at restaurants. I walk into the, the coffee shops, I'm like, hey, I'm doing the finger guns, right? Like, how is everybody? You know, you guys doing okay? I'm, I'm doing good. You good? You want to talk to people more. You just love people better when you have joy from the Lord. That should be a visible trademark of how we live, gentle and kind. And the reason why that we don't do that, guys, including, including me, is because we forget that God is near us. What that means is, is when we're saved, it says that we receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. So we have God's Spirit in us. God is close to us, in us. And so what Paul is about to do, guys, and this is where we're going to get into sensitive waters. Paul's about to take us into, into things that we, we get into big arguments about nowadays. This idea of anxiety. This idea of fear. And Paul instructs us to not be anxious. He instructs us to not succumb to worry and fear because God's with us. So here's the thing, guys. I believe the Bible teaches us, and we're reading it here, and there's so many other parts of the Bible that show us this. I believe God has designed us to live in joy. Doesn't mean that we're happy all of the time, but joy should be our, our kind of regular mode of operation, okay? So if joy is to be the way we operate most of the time, anxiety is the opposite of that. It's the thief of that. Therefore, logically, we must assume that if God wants us to live in joy, he doesn't want us to live in anxiety. That's why the Bible says that fear is not a product given to you by God. It's not a spirit given to you by God. It actually says that perfect love casts out fear and anxiety. Here, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. And here is the remedy for anxiety. So the Bible tells us when we feel anxious and we say, well, what do we do with anxiety? The Bible tells us exactly what to do with anxiety. It says to pray, to petition God, ask God for, for the things you need. And then here's the thing we always forget. Here's the caveat to all that is do it with thanksgiving. Well, but Corey, I don't have everything I want or need. Because you have the ability to talk to God at all, we should be thankful. Amen. The fact that we even have the ability to speak to God, we should be thankful. The fact that you have blood in your lungs, and, or blood in your lungs, blood in your veins and breath in your lungs, you don't want to get those two mixed up. Anyways, <laughs> we should be thankful. We should be thankful for that. So not only do we pray, not only, we, not only do we ask God for the things that we need, God, thank you for even hearing me right now. Thank you, Lord, for, for, for doing all you have for me in the past. And maybe we even take the radical approach of Habakkuk. He was a guy in the Old Testament who said, God, even if you never bless me again, thank you. Thank you. We even take that kind of approach. And when we do that, that delivers us from anxiety. Now, again, this is where we get into sensitive waters, isn't it? I think anxiety most of the time boils down to the fact that we don't trust God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he tells us not to worry about things, not to be anxious for things, right? Don't let anxiety overcome us, but trust in God. But to truly trust in God means we submit to God. If we say we trust God, but we don't submit to him, we really don't trust God. 
If we say we trust God, but we do not obey the word of God, we don't really trust God. So if we're gonna be frank, most of our anxiety comes from a fact that we don't trust that God is really in control. We don't believe in Jesus' sovereignty or we have not obeyed the teachings of Jesus through his word. So before anyone like throws tomatoes at me, which, I, why, why did that, why was that ever a thing? So why would you go to a theater and bring a tomato in the first place? I ever wondered about that? Like, hey, honey, you go to a movie or something, you're like, hey, I don't like the actor. Uh, give me that tomato in your purse. Like, where did that even come from? Anyways, so before anyone like hates me, listen, I believe in science. My wife was a scientist. So whenever I talk about things like being delivered of anxiety and depression and fear, people are like, well, he doesn't believe in science. My wife has multiple degrees in science. She was a scientist. Her sister is a doctor. We have other doctors in our family. We believe in science. We believe in medicine. We even believe in mental health. I go to a counselor. I went to one Thursday, same counselor I've been going to for two and a half years now. Though I think those things are at times necessary and helpful, as Christians, we have to believe that Jesus Christ has the power to deliver us from anxiety and fear. Amen, right? See, I think one of our problems is a lot of people don't truly believe that. They don't truly believe that Jesus Christ still delivers. And the problem is, is we forget who we are. We need to remember that we are children of the king and that God has good things for us if we will just depend on him. But when we don't, lies creep in. Lies like you're not valuable. You've done too many bad things for God to love you that you can't be delivered. You can't change. You were born with these things and you can never move on from those things. Now listen, sometimes we need counselors. Sometimes we need the accountability of the church. Sometimes we need to confess. I believe we need to do these things all the time, right? But Jesus delivers. Jesus can bring us out of these things. And so Paul even goes on to say that when we pray and when we thank God, it gives us peace. Peace is the thing that alleviates us from anxiety. So Paul says that if we pray, if we ask for, thing within, ask for things within God's will, and if we do it from a thankful posture, look at what the Bible says. A peace which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts. That means it guards your emotions. And then it says it guards your mind. It guards what you think. If we submit to Jesus, pray, petition, and thank. Our feelings come into check. Our thoughts come into check. And it's fascinating because the world has no solution for internal peace and external peace. But God says, I have it for you. And I have a peace that defies all logic. It's not dependent on what you have or don't have. It's not dependent on the state of the world around you. God gives you a peace that passes all logic and understanding. Now, here is another thing that we're just going to go a little bit deeper, okay, guys? Paul says we have to consciously walk into joy. We have to want to think differently. So Paul says, here's what you need to be focusing on. Here's what you need to be thinking about. Here's what you need to subject yourself to. He said, dwell, think, on things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are just and pure and lovely, things that are commendable. 
things that are morally excellent, things that are praiseworthy. Here's what this means. Jesus said in the book of Matthew that what we take in through the eyes can contaminate our entire soul. Jesus said that. So here's the thing. What we see, what we listen to, what we read, what we subject ourselves to can create anxiety in us, can create depression in us, can create fear in us. So Paul says, don't subject yourselves to those evil, dark things. Focus on things that are true. Focus on things that are honorable. Focus on things that are lovely and morally excellent. If we're just being honest, how much anxiety in our lives is because of the things we subject ourselves to? Let's talk about the news for a second. People are constantly scared to death, constantly in fear, diving into conspiracy theories and all this stuff, right? Because so many Christians go to Fox and CNN more than they go to this. Do you know the book of Isaiah says not to believe in conspiracies? Did you know that? So many Christians, because they saw it on the news. I saw it on Facebook, so it must be true. And all of these people are glued. Do you know that all the news does is sell you fear? That's how they keep you glued to your television. And you're not supposed to live in that, man. You're not supposed to live in that. But so many times we want to go to CNN or Fox to see how the world is shaking down. And this is how it tells us, right? This is how the word tells us to prepare ourselves for whatever is coming. How much anxiety is because of things we submit ourselves to? I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me over the years and like, Corey, I have terrible nightmares and I don't know why. I was hanging out with my girlfriends the other day and we were playing on the Ouija board watching Saw Part 12 and I don't know why I keep having these nightmares. And I'm like, I know, right? Because what you submit yourself to affects you. Well, Corey, it's just a movie. Is it? Well, Corey, it's just a book. Is Mein Kampf just a book? Hitler wrote that, by the way. Is it just a book? Is, it just a, is the anarchist cookbook just a book, right? Is the Bible just a book? What you take in through your eyes, your ears, and what you submit yourself to matters. It matters, right? And how much would our feelings change? How many young women give their body to every single guy that shows them attention because all the music they listen to tells them that they have to? How often does that happen? How much violence has broken out in the world, right? Is it just a coincidence that the kids that shot a bunch of other kids up at Columbine always played violent video games and listened to violent music? Is it a coincidence? Is it a coincidence that that's almost always the case with people who kill people? It's just movies. It's just music, right? I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with a little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, look at this. I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardships. 
So Paul was telling the church in Philippi, he was telling the Christians in, in, in Philippi, thank you. So not only did Paul love the Christians in Philippi, he was grateful that they kept sending him money and support. He did not want the money. He tried to refuse the money. And it wasn't the money that made him thankful. It was the fact that there was a group of people hundreds of miles away that thought about him, they loved him, they respected him, and they just wanted to make sure he was okay. Now, here's the thing about giving. I believe all Christians should be giving and, and gracious with, with their finances, their time, their energy, their talent. The thing about giving, though, is it's not always how much we're giving as far as like money, right? It's the heart and the attitude behind that. So not all of us in this room can give $10,000 to a nonprofit. And there's some people that can do it and it doesn't mean anything to them. But it's the heart behind that. I only might have $100 to my name, but here's $20 for you so you can get something to eat or so it'll bless you or whatever the case. It's the heart behind that. That's what Paul appreciated. And Paul wanted to let them know he said, I, I'm not writing you this letter so you'll give me more money. I don't, I don't need anything. He was thanking them, but this is great. Paul said, my economic problems are already solved. Not because he had a lot of money, but because he was happy whether he had money or didn't have money. He goes, I don't have any economic problems because I don't care about money. That was his, that was his response. Paul said, I had been rich. I had been prestigious. I've also been poor and I've been beaten up. He had experienced both. So Paul understood my contentment, my value, my worth, my joy is not contingent on what I have and don't have in a worldly sense. My joy is contingent on, do I have a relationship with God? Does, does, do, do God and I talk? That's where my joy comes from, Paul says. And that leads us to one of the most misinterpreted passages in the entire Bible, right? All the time, if you're a sports fan, you'll always, you know, they'll interview someone who just won the national championship and they're like, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me, right? That's not what that passage means. Listen, whenever people use it to like say that that means winning a ball game or getting a promotion, listen, I love Jesus and I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I'm a five foot 10, 41 year old white guy. I'm never gonna play for the Chicago Bulls. Not gonna happen. Now, I believe I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. I'm never going to do that. It's not because God isn't powerful, but that's not what that scripture means. What that scripture means is this. It is regardless if we never win in the world standards, regardless if we have to walk everywhere, regardless if we never get the promotion, we can have joy because Christ gives us strength in all situations. That's what that passage means. That's not about us winning stuff. It's about that we can lose in the world's view of losing and we can still win because we have Jesus. Amen. That's what that passage means. Please don't take that out of context. I'm gonna get that job because I can do all things. Through. That's not what that means. It's not what that means. It means you cannot get that job and still have joy. Amen. That's what that means, okay? So that is absolutely impossible without the Holy Spirit of Jesus. If you happen to be watching this on YouTube right now or Facebook or our website or you're in this room and you're not a Christian, I'm not going to lie to you. Being a Christian is not only difficult, it is impossible without God's Spirit helping us. All the principles that this Word tells us to do and live by, we cannot do it unless God is inside of us. We cannot do it. Now, in this life, we may find temporary success. I'm also not going to lie to you. Sex feels good right? Whether you're married or not married. But 
If you're having sex outside of the confines of marriage, there's a backlash to that. There's the guilt that comes the next day, right? There's the destruction you do long-term psychologically to that young lady that you took that gift from. There's all kinds of negative things from that. You may feel a temporary good sensation, but then there is a backlash to that. It feels good to smoke weed. You used to smoke a lot of weed, but then you realize you become apathetic and can't keep a job. Then you start to realize that that plant starts to run your life, and the cost of that is, is not worth, right, the temporary feeling of it, coming from a guy who was also a cocaine addict once upon a time. I know what it was like to get high. There are different spurts of happiness, like when we buy a nice car. I love cars. I own a couple of really cool old cars, and what I've found, though, over the years of owning lots and lots of old cars is I get them and I'm like, yeah, this is it. And then a year later, I'm like, I'm kind of bored with this. And you sell it and you get a different one because it's temporary because all things in this life are fleeting except for your relationship with God. That's the only thing that transcends and lasts forever. And without our relationship with God, we are doomed to implode, doomed to implode. Okay. Last part. Some of you are like, Corey, you said encouragement somewhere in here today. I promise we're getting there. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, to glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me, send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Christ be with you and with your spirit. Okay, so the church in Philippi had been one of the, the few groups that had been consistent with constantly sending Paul financial support and letters of encouragement and praying for him. And again, Paul's like, guys, I'm not writing you, so you'll send me more. He just basically wanted them to know, God sees what you're doing, and I see what you're doing. Thank you. It, does not go, it doesn't go unnoticed. That's what he's basically saying there. Now, look at what he says here. Paul, who is in prison, and this isn't like prisons like we have today, where they have like cable television and get to play ping pong and basketball. It's not like that. These were Roman prisons. He was awaiting his execution in a Roman prison. And look what he says. Paul says, I am full. I have abundance. He says, I have everything I need. Obviously, he's not talking about material possessions. He's not talking about comforts. He's not even talking about freedom. He is saying, I have everything I need. I live an abundant, full life because I have a relationship with Jesus. It's my mindset. It's where my heart is at. And so that's what he's saying. I have everything I need because I have Jesus. And then he says, and God will give you everything you need. 
Now, we need to think about this. We often talk about provision. That means what we need, right? Things that, that, that we need that are provided for us. That's what provision means. But we have to really think when it comes to provision, do we trust that God knows what we need even more than what we think we need? Let me give you an example. We often say, God, I need clothes. I need food. I need shelter. I need these things. Now, let me tell you something interesting. We live in a nation where it is virtually impossible to starve to death in the United States. We live in a nation that is probably one of the most prosperous, uh, most fortunate nations that has ever existed. And in this nation where we have prosperity upon prosperity, Christianity is tanking in the United States. Tanking. A recent survey just came out. Only 23% of the United States goes to church at least once a month. 23%. That's less than a quarter. One out of every four people goes to church once a month. There was a book called Faith for Exiles that does, makes a very compelling argument that only 10% of the United States could really be considered a disciple of Jesus according to biblical standards. One out of every 10. We have everything we need in the United States. Why are we not more thankful? Why are we not more appreciative? Why is Christianity not exploding? Because we have everything we need. We don't need God. We have the government, right? We have everything else. You know what's interesting? Christianity is tanking in the United States. The two, the two fastest places where Christianity is growing right now, 2021, is Iran and the continent of Africa. So let me tell you about Africa. I've been to Africa many times. In Africa, they don't have much, right? Most people have to make their own shoes if they have shoes at all. There's very little access to medical supplies. There's very little police officers. There's very little paved roads. Most people don't have cars at all. When you take a taxi or a Boda Boda, that's a motorcycle, you're crammed on there with all kinds of people. Most, it's like a 50% unemployment rate in Uganda alone. In North Africa, they're killing Christians by the droves, radical Muslims. In areas like Nigeria, they're killing people like crazy in the Congo and in Sudan. And do you know right now, on the continent of Africa, there are over 600 million Christians. That is more than the entire population of Canada, the United States, and Mexico combined. They have more Christians than we even have population. And they virtually have nothing, nothing over there. First time I went to Africa, my chest hurt for the first four days because you're breathing in so much dust and smoke because people burn trash everywhere. You see little kids naked running around making soccer balls out of trash, kicking it around, and they're happy as a lark. They say by 2025, 85% of Africa will be Christian, growing like crazy, and they have nothing. So here's why I tell you all that. We hold on way too tightly to the things of this world. Maybe God knows that some people need to suffer. Maybe God knows that what they really need isn't literal food. Maybe they need to starve because it draws their attention back to God. Maybe in God's infinite wisdom, he knows what we really need is not a literal bread, but the bread of life. Do we trust that God knows what we need even more than we know what we need? Do we know? Interesting. And Paul says, God will provide to you from his riches and through his glory. So we can only have access to the things of God if we have a relationship with God. 
all aspects of our life. So let's talk about finances, even finances. I have lots of people come up to me over time. They say, Corey, can you pray for my finances? And the first question I always ask is, are you faithful to Jesus with your tithes and offering? Because I don't know if you are or aren't. And they'll say, well, no, we don't tithe and we don't give offerings. And I say, I can't pray for your finances. You don't trust God with your finances. He can't, he can't bless your finances because you, you won't give it to him. You won't trust him with those things. Malachi chapter three says you're actually cursed financially if you don't trust him with your tithe and offering, but that's between you and the Lord. People come to me and they say, Corey, can you pray for my marriage? Do you guys come to church regularly? No. Are you guys in a group together? No. Do you pray together? No. Bro, are you looking at porn? Ah, occasionally. Are you respecting your husband? Not really. So you guys haven't given your relationship to Jesus, but you want him to fix it. You don't have access to a healthy marriage because you don't have a relationship with God. Even things like joy and peace and contentment and fulfillment, we only have access to those things if we live in a way that honors God, if we seek God, if we seek his will, if we submit to him, and if we will, we have access to joy. We have access to fulfillment. We have access to peace. We have access to the things that God wants us to have. But we have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at this last thing. I don't know if any of you guys noticed. In his final greeting, Paul says, hey, all the Christians in Rome say hi to all the Christians in Philippi. And he says, especially the Roman Christians who work in Caesar's house or who are in Caesar's household. Now, this is kind of fascinating. This means not only people who worked in Caesar's house were getting saved, giving their lives to Jesus, but it implies that people who were, who were related to the Caesar were getting saved. Now, if you don't know anything about Roman history, the Romans had a really, really good track record for about 70 years of having Caesars that were bat crap crazy. I mean, they were nuts, super evil. In the time of Jesus, it was a guy named Tiberius, and I'm gonna be somewhat sensitive about how I talk about these guys. Tiberius was known for having sex with children, and when he was done with having sex with children, the Roman guards would throw the children over a rock cliff and kill them. That's what Tiberius was known for. He was the Caesar during Jesus. After that was a guy who's pretty famous named Caligula. He was the, the nephew of, of uh, uh, the previous Caesar. And so he was the nephew of Tiberius, and he was even worse than Tiberius. Caligula did awful things, known as one of the most evil men that's ever been recorded in history. After him was a Roman Caesar named Claudius, who was pretty bad too. And then after him was a guy named Nero, and that was the Caesar during Paul's time. This is the Caesar that lit Rome on fire and played his lyre as he watched Rome burned, blamed it on the Christians, killed a bunch of Christians, including Paul. And then where all those houses had burnt down in Rome, he built a big old palace, slit his throat in front of the Roman Senate, killed himself. Crazy, crazy. And in the middle of all of that, Paul was winning people to Jesus even in that household. It's kind of neat. It's kind of neat. So let's go back to kind of the thesis of this book of the Bible which is joy. Philippians is known as the book of joy in the Bible, right? Now, I'm gonna challenge you on something. I believe the Bible tells us that you and I were designed to live in joy. That we were created and designed in such a way to be joyful. That doesn't mean that life is always easy. Life is very hard at times. And in fact, Jesus himself said, in this life, there's gonna be suffering. But then he says, take heart, because I've overcome the world, right? That in him, even though this life is hard, but if we have a relationship with him, 
We can have a life. I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you're from. If you're watching online and you're like, no way I can have joy, I disagree. I believe God has designed us through his son, Jesus, to have a life that is marked with joy, contentment, peace, and fulfillment. But it is contingent on us having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe that. I believe that with every fiber in my being, that we are designed to have a fruitful, abundant, joyful life. Okay? The enemy, though, of a life of joy, the thief of joy is anxiety. And we often fall into anxiety and we often fall into worry and fear because we have forgotten the truth. What is the truth? The truth is, is that God is powerful, all powerful. Well, Corey, I'm worried about the government. God is more powerful. Well, I'm worried about the economy. God is more powerful. God knows all, sees all. He's always known what was going to happen. Not only is God all powerful and sovereign, he knows what we need and when we need it. God holds the future. Well, Corey, I don't know the future. Well, it's recorded in the back of your Bible. Read it. Go online and watch my study on the book of Revelation. We win. And that should give us peace. You know the other truth that we forget? We forget that God loves us. So many people walk around looking for affirmation and value and worth. You are worth something. You are invaluable. You are beautiful. You are wonderfully made, the Bible says, in God's image. And we forget that. And when we forget that, we fall to anxiety. We worry so much about what we look like and how people are thinking about us. And I didn't get enough like snuggly heart things on Facebook and all this stupid stuff. And we gauge our worth on that because we have forgotten the truth that God thinks a lot of us. God knows every hair on our head, knows everything about us and loves us ridiculously. We forget that. So what do we do when we slide into anxiety? Because we're going to do it. Guys, I have moments of anxiety, but here's what, I, here's what I don't do. And I'm not perfect, but when I feel that anxiety come on, I don't run to smoking weed. I don't run to getting drunk. I don't run to donuts. I'd like to run to donuts. We don't run to donuts. I don't run to porn. I, I don't run to any of those things. I have to run to God. And, and what we are told to do when anxiety strikes is we are to meet that anxiety with prayer with petition, with thanking God. And if we run to Jesus in times of chaos or anxiety or fear, the Bible assures us you will be given a peace that doesn't make any sense. It is an illogical peace. Corey, how can you have peace about raising two little girls in the world we live in? Because God's in control. As long as my relationship is tight with him, God's going to protect my kids. However their future is played out, if I can instill in them the love of God and the love of people, if they are faithful to the Lord, they're going to be okay. They're going to be, that's how I have peace. That's how I don't worry about their future, right? Is we have to, in times of chaos, go to Christ. Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. So I believe we are designed to live in joy. I believe anxiety and fear is the thief of that joy. But if we're going to have joy, we have to consciously walk into joy which means we have to choose to think on righteous things. You are bombarded by darkness. 
You are bombarded with lies. Again, the reason why so many young ladies think that they have to show their body all the time and give themselves to every young man is that's all the music you listen to tells you. Can't keep a man unless you can outdo things that that other girl can do. And that's what it tells you. And if you're listening to that crap all the time, it's going to affect you. That's why the Bible says don't subject yourself to that. Consciously, knowingly, Listen to things that are commendable. Watch things that are commendable. Surround yourself with people who are praiseworthy, right? Who have moral excellence about them because there's so much darkness. So it does matter what you're listening to and subjecting yourself to and watching and reading and being around, right? We have to consciously want to walk into joy. Do you know what's different about Africa than in the United States? It's fascinating. If you ever go to Uganda, for instance, that's where I go when I go to Africa. When you go to Uganda, there's virtually no police. And when you do see a police officer and they have a gun, there's no ammo in that gun, right? Seriously, that's the truth. So there's virtually no police and there's, you could get away with anything in Uganda. What's fascinating about Uganda is there's virtually no murder. There's no domestic assault. There's virtually no robbery, any of that stuff. There's no rioting. There's, there's none of that. And so I've asked myself, well, what's the difference? <laughs> they don't have cable television. They don't have violent video games. They don't have, act you know, pornography is illegal in Uganda. It's against the law. You can't look at it if you want to look at it. It's against the law completely. And so whenever people say, well, it's just movie, music, books. Well, it's interesting when you remove all that crap from a society, people don't beat their wives as much. People don't kill each other. People don't get divorced as much. Isn't that fascinating? What we subject ourselves to does matter. Amen. We must also choose to be content regardless of where we are. Well, I don't live in that neighborhood. You live in a house though, don't you? And that's better than a lot of people. You need to be content where you are. You need to be content with what God has given us. And that's only possible though if we're full of God's spirit. We have to be full of God's spirit. Here's the other thing. If we are faithful... And if we walk the way the Lord wants us to walk, if we run to Jesus when we're struggling or making mistakes, if we're faithful, God's always faithful, I promise you. He loves us and he wants us to live abundantly. But we have to, we, we have to define what is living abundantly. What is living? And we live in a culture nowadays where we, we, we tell young people and we just, everywhere around you, culture is telling you living Is, is just traveling all the time or living is having a full belly. Living is driving that car, or having that trophy wife or husband. That's living. Living is partying. Living is being popular. That's living. Now, it's not that God has anything wrong with us having a full stomach or driving a nice car, but God wants you to experience better things out of life than just these things that are going to go away. God wants you to be so connected to him That even if we don't get food, and even if we have to walk everywhere, that we still have contentment because we have him. That we still have joy because we understand this life is temporary. I was watching this documentary not too long ago, and it was talking about all of the Christian persecution in the Middle East and how in different parts of the Middle East, when they were pulling Christians out of villages and they would line them up 20, 30, 50, 100 of them at a time, and one by one they would saw their heads off. 
None of these people begged for their life. None of them recanted on their faith. They just, they just stood there. Some of them praying as their heads were getting sawed off. In this one documentary, they talked to one of the wives, young wife, very pretty woman, had a couple of small kids, and she wasn't crying or anything, and they said, what, 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 what about your husband? Tell me about your husband. And she said, I'm so proud of my husband that even going into the face of a violent death, that man loved Jesus, and she goes, and I'll see him again. Even in the face of that kind of life, these people have joy, they have contentment, they have peace. That's the kind of living that God wants for us. Come take everything I have. You can even take my head, but you can't take my heart. You can't take my joy. You can't do that because that's a gift from God for me. It's one of the fruit of the spirit that God gives me. Can't take that. That's what living is. And that's what God wants for you and I. That kind of depth in our life. So that's the question. Are we living? Are you and I living in joy? I'm not saying there aren't moments of sadness or anger or frustration. We have those, right? But maybe those are the anomaly in our norm, our normative, is joy. We are people who are joyful. Do you and I get to experience that? Do we experience peace? Are we living in peace? I don't care who gets elected. I don't care what happens with the economy. I don't care what foreign nations have every single missile pointed at us. I have peace because God's in control. I have peace because God sits on the throne, right? Do we have that? Do we have fulfillment, right? Never written a best-selling book, never been in a movie, never traveled the world yet, but I'm fulfilled because I have Jesus. Do we have that? And do we live in love? Let me talk about this for a second. If you're new here to the church, and I don't talk about it a lot because I don't enjoy talking about it, um, I have a father, a sister, and a mom. Uh, my sister doesn't speak to me anymore. My father hasn't spoken to me 14 of my 41 years. Uh, and I have a good relationship with my mom, thankfully. Any of you who have issues like that, a lack of family in your life, lack of dad in your life, I'll tell you the beautiful thing about my relationship with God. I did it the other day. I was driving, turned off the radio, and I just, I don't know why I felt compelled to do it. I turned off the radio and I said, Father, I love you. I love you, Father. And even though I didn't hear God's audible voice, I instantly just felt all over me that God was saying, love you too, son. Love you too. And I remember I just rode, no music, no nothing. And I just kind of like hung out in that love of my father. Do you have that? I want you to have that. It's not because I've been perfect. It's not because I've always been good. But I want you to live in that kind of love. I'm so blessed that I feel like I get to live in that kind of love. And here's what happens, is when we live in that kind of love of our Father, we start to show that love to people around us. We start to express that love. We start to be kind and gracious. And we love those around us better. Here's the thing. If you are not living in those things, I want to simply ask you why. Because I believe that God has given these gifts to anyone who will receive it. I believe we are designed to live in these things. Why? Because this book says so. Now, some people, I feel like, and I'm going to say this and I'm going to end. A lot of people look at me and they're like, well, what, do, what do you know, Corey? Pastor of a big old church. What do, you, what do you know? 
Well, I was on Prozac and Zoloft when I was 15 years old when I tried to kill myself for the first time. Tried to kill myself the second time, about six months after that. And in 2002, I tried to kill myself for the third time. That's when I became a Christian. I've struggled with depression. I've struggled with anxiety. I've struggled with fear. Done a lot of bad things in my life. And then I met Jesus. Not only did Jesus clean me up and forgive me, I 100% believe that Jesus Christ delivered me of those things. Delivered me of the anxiety. Delivered me of the fear. I believe Jesus has delivered me of depression. And you can say all you want. I believe he can do it for you too. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room right now, and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you really struggle with fear or anxiety, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Isaac is up here, spoke last week. If you have any questions, if you, if you would just like to talk with him, ask him anything you want. You're not going to offend him. You're not going to throw him off. Please come up and talk to him. We have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need anything prayed for, anything in your life. Listen, I'm going to go so far to say, even if you have something you need to confess, and maybe you need to come up and say, listen, I've been doing this. I just want to tell someone. Can you pray with me? They're not going to tell anyone. You're safe, okay? The last thing is, is you should have communion in your hands. A lot of us in this room have bought into the lie that we have done too much evil for God to love us. Not true. The Bible says God loved us so much that he gave his only son, and God knew everything you would ever do in your life, and he still sent his only son to die for our sins, to relieve us of our sin, to relieve us of our shame and our guilt, and to deliver us from anxiety and fear. If you're in this room and you ask God to forgive you of your sins, you can take that communion. And if you struggle with fear or anxiety or worry, pray, petition, thank God and be obedient to his word. And I think you're going to see a change. Father, Lord, I love you. God, I love this church so much. Father, for everyone in this room, I pray that you keep your hand on their minds, keep your hand on their hearts, keep your hand on them physically, God, their families. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that, that as we leave this place, that, that you would just protect us, Lord. Let us be conscious, God, and, and let us deliberately walk into joy. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God. We pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys very much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.